0: essentially I told my mentor (laughs) that I was a dominatrix from graduate school. She was on my dissertation committee. Um, She flipped the fuck out and withdrew all my letters of rec, um, which I found to be a bizarre decision to make with a dominatrix who's like notoriously vindictive.
1: Thank you for joining us for another episode of On the Horizon, a podcast
2: about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it. I'm Jesse Sage, and you can find me on Twitter at sapiotextual and at jessiesage.com.
1: And I'm Melrose Michaels, and you can find me at Melrose Michaels on social and melrosemichaels.com.
2: Just a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast on Apple, please leave us a five-star rating and review because it really helps us to grow as a podcast and better share information from our guests to the sex work community as a whole.
1: Last but not least, if you want to support the podcast, please go to anchor.fm forward slash horizon spelled W-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N to become a premium subscriber of On the Horizon, which unlocks two bonus episodes on the 8th and 22nd of each month with tons of extra exclusive footage from ourselves and our guests. This segment of today's episode is sponsored by sex.com, one of the absolute best content creator platforms out there it looks better than any other has a higher level of security than any other and boasts over 3 million unique visitors a day scrolling through viral looped adult short form videos sex.com is like well (laughs) sex itself a lot of people do it some just do it much much better than the others sex.com if you're gonna do it do it right Welcome back to on the horizon this is episode 10 all about media what sex workers can teach you about media correspondence
2: yeah so both of us have done lots of media we
1: have i've gotten some fantastic press lately and i
2: mean, yeah. it's been a
1: relatively good experience yeah but there are things that get misquoted
2: and yeah. and they choose terrible pictures terrible pictures yeah so i have this <laughs> one so i did a um do you guys remember when um oh my gosh i'm gonna draw a blank uh What's his name? Um, got in trouble because they, he got caught masturbating on uh, the New Yorker writer. Got caught masturbating oh, on, Zoom. On, Zoom. on Zoom. On Zoom. Yes. Yes. Yeah. Yes, yes. So. Uh, Gate. Gates? No, no. That was Gates. another guy. Um, no. Tubin. Okay. I don't know. I'm just okay. dragging names through the mud. Left yeah. The yeah. Yeah. So <laughs> Tubin got caught uh, masturbating on Zoom and he lost his job for that. Mm-hmm. And I um, was just mouthing mousing off on Twitter, which I do, and was like, all oh, dudes masturbate on Zoom because because we do zoom shows <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> and i was getting like when at the beginning of the pandemic i was getting like um customs to like pretend that i'm on a yeah, zoom I, call. I have video
1: request custom
2: video request that they
1: want to do fake a skype show or a long distance or a zoom yeah yeah
2: because that was so much a part of every people's daily experience yeah. and our erotics get like mixed into that so anyways i was mouthing off and then the new york post was like wait will you talk to us about this and i was like sure i just did a custom on this so i did this new york post interview which was fine the article was fine. But they asked about like these customs. And so I just like sent them one. Um, Yeah, but I gave them like the pictures, but not like the full video, but they must have just bought the video or something because they pulled a screen grab that I'm now like, in the Washington post with like a pen in my mouth. And I'm like, ah, oh, <laughs> no. because like in the video, I was like, you know, being seductive with the pen, which looked fine in, in motion. Yes. There's a big difference. Those <laughs> things don't translate.
1: I look no. way better on video than in picture. Like, it's yeah, so because much if easier. you can
2: pull like a ridiculous screen cap where I'm like licking a pen and it looks ridiculous anyways. So you have to be careful. Uh, and you know, I'm just like, I don't know. That's, that's yeah, just that's just how it goes. That's just how it goes. That's you have press. to let it go because yeah. you have no control. Yeah. And so that's kind of the theme about
1: doing press, really. Yeah. is like a lack of control over what they're gonna, you know, soundbite or clip or put into writing in the way that it's framed with or without context. Like these are yeah. the risks you run when when corresponding with media.
2: Yeah, it was interesting. Like I remember one time too, my husband PJ did a um news uh interview and they um quoted his uh they they wrote out his quote but they did it like with speech patterns like they actually transcribed like oh, wow. ums into nice. the thing well except, well not like messy but yeah it's it nice was to like get tone across yeah it came out a bit messy where he was like they they didn't have to write um in yeah, the middle of my no, sentence no, 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 you know yeah but like it's interesting because you do have to be very aware of like the way that you speak when you're talking to media because they might take Every single thing, and that they'll you take what suits say.
1: them and their needs yeah. for sure. So I think that this yeah. is a powerful episode because right now we're at kind of a height in our industry where sex workers are getting yeah. the most press I feel like we've ever gotten. Yeah, in, in all honesty, because a we, lot of yeah. mainstream
2: attention. Yeah. So yeah. knowing
1: how to have those conversations in a way where you understand the ramifications and also how to navigate it, I think yeah. is incredibly important. So I really hope anyone that listens, um, we have amazing guests. We have Mistress Snow coming on Mm -hmm. um, to talk about her experience with the press. And I mean, her story is phenomenal.
2: Yeah. 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 And then we also have Kathy um, Ricevich, um, who's a writer. And as a writer, like I also want to say that um, who's, who's done press interviews as a writer, sex worker, but I also want to say that um, we don't have like in this culture, in our education system, like media literacy. Like one of the things that I think is interesting is that like as a writer, a lot of people think that I pick like my the pictures that go in my articles and also the title of my article. And usually, writers don't have any control yeah. like whatsoever over that. So I'll have people read my articles and then like give me a hard time and be like, "Yeah, the article's good, but the title's really clickbaity." And I'm like, "I don't have anything to do with that." Yeah, like, that's not in like, the description like, for you. Yeah, no. and the thing that I think is interesting and important to recognize is that like in any like media product there are conflicting, um, how do I want to say this? There is conflicting, um, uh, agendas on oh, all yeah. the people who are involved so like the writers like agendas to write the best piece possible um, the interviewees agenda is to like get their point and yeah. their perspective across and the like publishers agenda is to, to get se- clicks to and, get sell clicks. and yeah. so um, those are sometimes competing all Absolutely. those things that are competing and so like as consumers I think we need to be aware of that when we read something but I also think that as sex workers we need to to be aware of how um, we're coming across and both of our guests yeah. do a great job of that.
1: Yeah, so I, I, don't want, I don't want to give away too much about our guests because their stories are theirs to tell them their fantastic uh, stories. But I know Mr. Snow really um, has an academic uh, approach mm-hmm. to what had happened to her and she was essentially outed to her her school.
2: Uh, am I saying that right? No, she. Um, she told her advisor and her advisor withdrew all of her letters of recommendation yeah so yeah her advisor was trying to basically end her career over the fact that she was a dominatrix
1: yes and then with kathy reisenwitz she is a she does a lot of writing so Mm -hmm. she has a kind of the opposite lens well not opposite she's sex work as well but she has a unique lens at her approach to media so yeah yeah i think this is gonna be a fantastic episode there's a lot of of information to take away and how you can go forth and you know correspond with media so i hope you enjoy and uh let's get into
2: it sounds good
1: Today's episode is sponsored by ePlay, an adult live streaming platform creating an online ecosystem for creators to engage with their fans that's easy, exciting, and empowering. At ePlay, you earn 80% of revenue on everything from live streaming to private messages with your fans to your sub-club membership fan site. ePlay even allows you to earn money while you sleep with offline tips. Do what makes you excited. Take control of your business, content, voice, and freedom as a creator.
2: Consider joining ePlay today. Dr. Olivia Snow is a dominatrix, writer, and professor who researches sex work, technology, and policy as a Tech Impact Network Research Fellow at UCLA's Center for Critical Internet Inquiry. Her work stems from her graduate research on labor under American industrial capitalism and her 15 years of experience in sex work, and she's currently studying the surveillance of in-person sex workers by big tech and the violence of financial and social deplatforming. All right. Well, welcome, Mistress Snow. It is great to have you on the horizon. Yes, and great to meet you properly.
0: <laughs> <laughs> great to meet you too. <laughs> Can you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, hi, wait. Hold on. My dog is. Come here. Come here. Come on.
2: Okay. Introduce your dog. Too, we want to see the dog. Too. Yes. Okay, Aww, so I. What's I am... your dog's name? <laughs>
0: lucy lucy snow is her
2: oh
0: lucy just
2: licked mr snow's nose it so. is
0: perfect <laughs> yeah she gets really jealous when i like teach she's like who's she paying attention to why isn't it me <laughs> um but anyway so my name is mr snow um i am a god damn it, i am a <laughs> top and matrix um uh writer and uh researcher i Mm -hmm. um kind of uh came to notoriety on uh, sex work twitter a couple years ago when i wrote an article um entitled i told my mentor i was a dominatrix and she rescinded her letters of recommendation um Mm -hmm. which y'all may have read i think i have a pdf somewhere i can send to you and what happened is essentially i told my mentor <laughs> that i was a dominatrix yeah. from graduate school she was on my dissertation committee um she flipped the fuck out and withdrew all my letters of rec um which i found to be a bizarre decision to make with a dominatrix who's like notoriously vindictive even before this <laughs> um <laughs> it would have been bizarre regardless. anyway yeah. Regardless, yeah. yeah but like me specific, yeah. like I don't know what she was thinking. Anyway, um, so I wrote about it, and now she's a husk of her former self. And I have a new career researching sex work in tech.
2: Okay. Uh-oh. All right. That's yeah. So you actually like bounced back from that even stronger.
0: Yeah. Yeah. She did me a favor. <laughs>
2: <laughs> right. <listen. laughs> um yeah so what was the reaction actually to that article because you you did kind of pop onto the scene with that at least in in the sex work world like when you wrote that article
0: yeah i mean like i had my little account that i was using for like irl sessions but i had like you know 30 followers but yeah um Mm -hmm. the reaction was mostly positive people were pretty appalled um in like the immediate reaction it seemed it was you know pretty obvious months later that a lot of that was like the performative allyship that doesn't really mean anything oh yeah (laughs) yeah um but no i would say on the whole um it it, uh started at least with the academics started a conversation about precarity and poverty and Mm -hmm. classism um and I, you know, I think a lot of academics were like, wow, a dominatrix who's smart. And I'm like, do you have any fucking idea how many, like, that's what my yeah. <laughs> giant uh-huh. is. we're everywhere. Um, yeah. <laughs> uh,
2: I love like there is, I don't know if you read this, but Laura Lively wrote um, a piece for N plus one. And in oh, it, she oh, said um, cash,
3: cash, cash consent. consent yeah.
2: yeah. And in it, she said something like, you know, somebody said, but not all sex workers are smart like you. And she's like. Every sex worker I know
0: (laughs) is is,
2: amazingly smart. (laughs) Yeah,
1: (laughs) exactly. There's so many uh, sex workers walking around with master's degrees. It's it's insane. Uh, I have a question actually regarding this topic and how you got out and on that story in general. Do you draw any parallels? Because I know this was a big conversation in like especially the dominatrix sphere of sex work when the Netflix series Bondage came out. I wonder – what your thoughts were on that because I saw a lot of negative negativity around it which I I could see the the point but I also saw positive like at least there's a Netflix movie that is exposing sex work to the masses in its more relatable form so I'm curious what your thoughts were on that too
0: well I only saw the first season which I found just like highly irritating um, not necessarily bad, but like stupid. Okay, <laughs> like okay. like um, the it was like a caricature of academia, a caricature of domination. Mm. Um, also, like a lot of it didn't really make sense. I was like, why are you? I hear that the second season and maybe the third uh, is slash are a lot better, okay. and that oh, they, oh, maybe like, they, they the critique? I
1: hope so. <laughs> yeah, crazy, yeah. right? <laughs> 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 um,
0: I've been meaning to watch it. I just you know, yeah. Like yeah, but, yeah, <laughs> yeah. But I have heard like the I know the the discourse has been that it it improved a lot. Like listened to the actual feedback. That's Interesting. Good. Yeah, so
1: we think about media a lot oftentimes with like the actual like press, but we don't often consider like the Netflix or like the mm-hmm. spinoffs and the movies because the way that those things impact sex work are wide in in heavy yeah. because that's how the masses in the mainstream. Is going to visualize and their perspective lens is going to be affected you know Mm -hmm. so i i definitely wanted to ask that
0: um yeah well see i gave a i gave a pod or i did a podcast maybe like two years ago i think on writing about sex workers and just like Mm -hmm. all all of the tropes um Mm -hmm. have y'all seen killing eve no oh my god um uh the character villanelle plays a sex worker in like two or like she gets disguises herself as a sex worker in a couple of episodes and it's like actually perfect.
1: Be. Wow. Yeah. Where yeah just it's, be watched? <laughs> it's,
0: hmm? Oh, it's Where's on that? um I think it's on Hulu. Killing Eve. Okay. Killing Eve, we'll yeah. check that out. Yeah. Oh my so god, it's so good. Year? Um but yet like at one point she shows up at like like what looks like a, a medical dungeon and just like signs in. Like she's clocking in for work yeah that's awesome that's That's what it's like very accurate (laughs) yeah Yeah.
2: there was a show that I watched recently that um was about a somebody with cerebral palsy I think and he hires uh he's gay and he hires a male sex worker for his first like sexual experience and now I can't remember what it's called but I also watched that and was like yeah, that's kind of how it goes, right? <laughs> and, oh, like, oh. Yeah, it was like really good. And the the person who came in—I mean, I don't know that much about the gay male side of things, but like from my perspective, like that's what a session looks like, you know, like a that's regular right, like yeah. GFE session, which yeah. you know you can't really map onto that, but still you can right. because it's more or less like what it looked like, you know. And that's fascinating. They oh, just world. were like
0: lying there, chit chatting. <laughs>
2: <laughs> <laughs> I was like, right, yeah, yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> or have you um, seen Working Girls? I haven't, but I, I know what you're talking
2: one. about. Yeah. yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. I'm trying to remember the the um, the name of. It's the same name. <laughs> like she has the same name as that woman in the 19th century who like massacred her family with an axe. Um, Lizzie Borden. Oh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. She's wow. the director, and I think the um, screenwriter.
1: Mm-hmm. That's awesome. I bet you she doesn't get lost on Google.
0: <laughs> That's a good one.
1: Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I well, we wanted to ask you also about because you've done a lot of in, like press and you've spoken out about the experiences you've had and other topics related to sex work. What precautions come to mind immediately when you're dealing with the press? Like there's so many sex workers who listen to this who probably have never had to deal with the press and mm-hmm. with everything always evolving, you know, no one knows what tomorrow holds. There, there is an opportunity that they could be interviewed and mm-hmm. like what safeguards or precautions should they have in the back of their mind?
0: Well, Lucy. Um, so I I kind of treat the press in the same way that I treat like a university Title IX audience, <laughs> <laughs> which is like you are like to be on the defensive that you know they mm-hmm. could possibly take anything you say and use it against you. Yeah. Um, that the the thing that the reporter is building is a story, not like a and i am like a, a tool for that right. that they right, can yeah, use right. anyway mm-hmm. um so you know i try to like just be really uh i guess reticent to include any details that are like yeah that yeah that, that could just come off the wrong way um i what was i going to say oh i also like i um i recently spoke to the new york post and i was real apprehensive i've done about that it. too <laughs> i'm curious what your experience was yes well i am also in the
2: new york press with a terrible (laughs) picture but okay
0: (laughs) well i was like i knew York post i'm sorry yeah Yeah. well i know they've docked sex workers before Mm -hmm. so i was like what if i just talked to this woman and then i like and then i see tomorrow like down the matrix outed at the edge um so you know i also and I, I, I'm not a journalist. So I always like fuck these terms up. But I, you know, I'm really clear about like what's on the record, what's off the record, what's on the yeah. background. Um, with this woman, I said like in no uncertain terms, like, listen, listen you. <laughs> 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 I know the post history. So mm-hmm, I mm-hmm. need to know that this is safe. And she ended up like being really cool. Um, but, you know, like getting all those clarifying details down because there's so much that like non-sex workers don't know could know. dox you. And yeah. they're like, how, like, even asking my age, I'm like, which I guess is now out there. But, you know, yeah. I've kept that to myself, because I'm like, unusually young for an academic. Um, mm-hmm. Or like, you know, location, or like, choosing a picture if my, you know, tattoos aren't photoshopped out or whatever. Yeah, yeah so, right. yeah, trying to, I mean, you know, you can you can only see so much before it goes to press, but you know, being like, mm-hmm. very concrete about like, safety precautions, yeah. Mm-hmm.
1: yeah yeah and the other thing too that off the record on the record like for those listening like you need to say that before you start talking you don't yes. get to say it after yeah you say it after they can use it so like be yeah very clear. well did like,
0: it um what was it scaramucci one of trump's like 10 billion press press officers? secretaries? i like, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't he send some like coked out email to like every journalist i think he ended it like and this is off the record oh i think which, so like, yeah
1: i did hear that <laughs> <laughs> that should have been in the subject line, <laughs> right? Maybe <laughs> just not
2: send it. Yeah. Like maybe that. You know that
1: the yeah, like email has- writing. Yeah. <laughs> Gmail has a setting now where okay. if you're past a certain time at night, like 11 p.m., it makes you solve a math equation before to let you send an email. Wait, what? Yeah,
2: to prevent you from <laughs> doing God. shit like that. I just heard about that. I didn't know. That. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, they're safeguarding everything. I, I need that for my work phone for like any text that comes after like 11. Just like, <laughs> are you sure you want to reach out? Because <laughs> she might not be happy with you. <laughs> Warning. Um, she might block your
0: number for 2 a.m are you available god i recall (laughs) in grad school though all the real fucked up drunk emails came at like 11 a.m so oh
2: well yeah (laughs) (laughs) that makes
1: sense so check that Yeah, yeah
0: yeah. um Mm.
2: yeah my problem with the new york press is that like the interview is fine but then i gave permission for like them to use a picture but then the picture they picked they pulled like a screenshot from a video that was like from the same set that I gave them but not what I gave them and I look like ridiculous it is so bad (laughs) oh no I I like I gave them a bunch
0: of pictures to use and they like did not they went to my Instagram and just like they use a picture where I like just put like a little emoji over my face and they're like "Mistress Snow has to hide her face with a raccoon emoji and I'm like (laughs)
3: <laughs>
0: yeah, I, yeah, I just don't know how to use Photoshop, <laughs> and I refuse to learn.
1: <laughs> See, and that's why I'm really careful now about what I post on Instagram because press often pulls from yeah. Instagram instead. I'm like, yeah. and then they'll pull something you that is meaningless or supposed to be silly, like supposed to be real life, and then they're pulling it for press. And that makes me crazy
2: because I have noticed too that some <laughs> of them will like just embed it instead yeah, of like screenshotting link. it. Yeah. But then the the thing about that is, I sometimes erase my picture. Yeah. And then I went to see an article that I wrote, and like my picture was just blank. blank. And I was like, oh, yeah. Ooh. Yeah. So I have to get them to put a different one. Yeah. It's a whole thing. So, yeah. Um, anyways one of the things that I've found in like doing interviews um, about sex work is how much work has to go into explaining like where we're coming from. Um, And (laughs) I was wondering how much, um, how much like background um, you feel like you have to do when you're talking to people outside of sex work.
0: Right? Yeah. So I mean, so I found with a lot of journalists, especially a lot of like, Tw- mid 20s journalists who <laughs> don't appear to come from massive wealth have also done sex work yeah
2: a lot of them and, yeah. yeah a
0: lot and um I, f- I feel like like i mean some have disclosed that but others you can just kind of like vibe with yeah um mm-hmm. so yeah they get it but like right um i think Well, what i usually do is explain like even right now like fucking ucla owes me like a bajillion dollars um i was supposed to have it like ages ago and i don't have it and rent is due tomorrow right so i'm like okay well what would you do you need to get two grand by tomorrow Mm
1: -hmm. yeah
0: and then they're usually like oh okay okay like yeah Mm
1: -hmm. yeah you
0: can't sit around and waste time you know this is like needed today right right and i mean i hate that that still kind of rests on the like the only type of sex work that's valid or whatever is survival survival sex work right right, Um, because like i don't know all work is survival like that's dumb um but i think that also helps highlight like the um the the worker issue and it's a good Mm -hmm. example of why like decrim would be preferable to uh like the nordic model right even right, then right. you know could you imagine like having to wait for your like i mean and who knows it's, it's like but having to wait for your like your your horn paycheck like yeah three weeks later <laughs> like no I, <laughs> that would be awful I'm no, here right. today yeah. right Right. that's yeah. why
2: i'm doing sex work for <laughs> yeah no yeah. um i want to ask you a controversial question um and here it is <laughs> great, great segue um, i yeah i actually don't have i'm just curious what you think about this so um There are people who believe that nobody should be writing about sex workers except for sex workers. And then there are people who believe that we do need, like, allies who are working in journalism or in academia or in these other places who aren't sex workers but who are, like, following that and doing a good job. Where do you stand on that? Do you feel like this, like... Work can only be done by sex workers, or do you feel like that's too much of a burden to put on sex workers mm-hmm. who are also just trying to get by?
0: Right. Well, so I think, um, well, a and a lot of you know that that could put people on the spot of having to self-disclose. Right. Um, mm-hmm. So I try not to. I mean, you can tell if someone's a sex worker or not, like the way yeah. that they write about us. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, I. <laughs> I mean, it's that's like, um, a hard button a- issue, but No, <laughs> yeah, so I'm thinking like I I was I refereed an article um a few months ago about sex work, uh written, you know, just by like academic I mean, I don't know, it was like double blind. Um, but I uh you know, there, there were a lot of basic mistakes that we mm-hmm. know not to make that th- they would have no idea. Like um, I think they described uh, sex work and human trafficking as like on a continuum or something of the sex trade. And that, yeah. Uh, so I was like, yeah. no, you, you can't do that. Yeah. Right. Like you, you can't. Yeah. Do that. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, so I think like, I would not trust someone with no connections whatsoever to sex work to write about sex work. Yeah. um on their own like Mm -hmm. if you're collaborating with someone great but you know then the other issue is like we're so marginalized and criminalized that we don't want to self-disclose because you know then like your mentor might take all your letters of recommendation or whatever right um yeah yeah yeah, i think it's really um i don't i don't know catch-22 Right, Maybe. right. Yeah. Like I feel the it, same
2: way that what you're just I'm sorry, I didn't mean to cut you off, but I feel the no, same no, no, way about no, yeah. organizing because I felt like in organizing spaces I've been in, a lot of people were like, um, we don't want so and so or allies or people to be like doing this organizing, and you're like, But you don't actually know like who they are, right. what sort of work they're yeah. doing. So if we're gonna make like a policy to force people force sex workers to disclose their work history before doing like writing or doing organizing or anything like that that's actually putting people in really dangerous positions so i appreciate that you brought up like disclosing yeah
0: well i'm also thinking like it is really bizarre the way that neoliberalism has like spiraled into marginalization equals clout because i'm pretty Mm -hmm. sure marginalization equals getting marginalized (laughs) right right yeah Um, and i say that to like i've definitely on multiple occasions been accused of like not being a real sex worker not being a real dom or being a fake dom (laughs) or whatever the fuck and um uh i you know it's like just the the the, oh my god I'm such a fucking academic I'm like the myriad ways in which our identities can be weaponized yeah. <laughs> That's right. like, uh, I know what you're I, saying <laughs> yeah I mean, you, know, you know you have to like yeah. consider it politically I guess right like, what is the purpose of IDing as a sex worker here
2: yeah I wonder mm-hmm. if there's
1: a happy medium where we have allies that are just paying to consult with sex workers anonymously because then you can kind of get around the the disclosure, and then also they're being paid for their time, so it's not taking out of the people who are survival sex. Like maybe mm-hmm, there's some kind mm-hmm. of happy middle ground. I don't know if is there ever those.
0: But I mean, there are ha- there are like academic studies that will compensate. Um I think. Well, I mean, journalism like you you can't pay Right. in journalism. Yeah. Um, as I mean, I'm not, I'm not. Excuse me, I'm not a journalist, so like you I mean, know. Yeah. um <laughs>
2: well, sex workers don't understand that though. And I feel like that's noticed, something, yes. I think that that's something that should be said out loud. And so I'm glad that you said that, because I've noticed that, too, that sex workers are get very angry at journalists for not offering compensation because sex workers, um, as they should, like value their time in terms of money, labor, except yeah. that, like, it just doesn't translate like it doesn't work like right. that. And that.
0: That's unethical. That compromises right, the, right. the story, which I'm like then like so you're going to start
2: like what, what that ends up meaning is that the people who can lie it, it pressures people to like have the best story Insane. for like the money yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah it yeah, just yeah, doesn't yeah. work
0: yeah yeah i think that's imp- i mean i haven't really encountered anyone actually wait you know yeah i have i was gonna <laughs> i was gonna say like i don't know allies are also just so disingenuous on In in a lot of cases, whether that's ignorance or whether that's like some weird fetishization. Yeah, yeah, I I don't know. I don't think there's like a hard and fast. I mean, ideally, we could just, you know, safely self-disclose, but we don't live in that world. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. I
1: think that's that's a good place to. to Yeah,
2: yeah. Where can people find you unless there's something else that you feel like we didn't cover? No, no, I think we're good. Yeah. Okay. okay Lucy, all right. Lucy, what about you? Yeah, you good, Lucy? Okay. <laughs> yeah. All right. Good.
0: She, she's like, I'm bored. Yeah. <laughs> Where can people find you and your writing and your work? Um, so I am. I'm pretty chronically on Twitter. I'm uh-huh. doing better. At, uh, <laughs> being less on Twitter, um, but at Mistress Snow PhD. Hmm. Uh-huh. Um. I'm the, the same on Instagram, but like I post there never because I hate instagram oh
3: geez. me too <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
2: i'm not so
0: good at instagram but yeah <laughs> except every time i go onto my civilian instagram or my work one your shit jesse pops right up immediately really? yeah, i don't think i'm even following I don't even you post that much <laughs> algorithms or something um, yeah, okay yeah. <laughs> um, uh, yeah i'm on twitter i am working on you know a personal website dot 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 <laughs>
2: Am get I going to do that, it today? It That's what I did. No, I'm going to go
0: back to like doom scrolling. <laughs> Maybe one day.
2: <laughs> All right. Well, thank you so much for chatting with us. Yes, it was yeah. Yeah, thanks having for having on. me on.
1: This episode of On the Horizon is sponsored by DMCA Force. DMCA Force is the authorized DMC agent for the largest online creators and the platforms that they monetize. DMCA Force protects models, musicians, writers, videographers, artists, and tons of other creatives publishing their works online. With DMCA Force, you get 24 7 automated monitoring, flagging, and removal of stolen and pirated content they use metadata and keywords relating to your work in collaboration with search engines to remove even the 10 to 15% of content on ghost sites that can't typically be scrubbed from the internet. They even offer the ability to fingerprint content and digitally watermark it as an added layer of security to protect the art you work so hard creating. Join DMCA Force today.
2: Kathy Risenwitz is a writer and OnlyFans creator with bylines in TechCrunch, This Week, Vice, The Daily Beast, and more. Her newsletter is Sex and the State, and you can find it at kathyrisenwitz.substack.com. So welcome, Kathy. It is great to have you on our show. On the horizon.
3: Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. Can you introduce yourself? Absolutely. My name is Kathy Reisenwitz, and I am a writer, activist, and sex worker. Uh, I write at Sex in the State, which can be found at kathyreisenwitz.substack.com.
2: Yeah, and you you started doing OnlyFans and like content creation like after you kind of built your brand as mm-hmm. Kathy, right? That's absolutely
3: right. Yeah, I did some sugar babying in D.C. Um, years ago, and had pretty much left the world of sex work. Um, and then in pandemic. Uh, I thought, you know, all these awesome writers are getting on OnlyFans and monetizing their brands in this way. And I -hmm. like taking naked selfies. And so uh, (laughs) let's give this a whirl. How's that been? How's the transition been for you? I mean, it's been amazing. Um, It was even the hard parts have been really good for me. Um, Mm -hmm. Just confronting my internalized, you know, slut shaming and stigma around like, oh, like, should I be embarrassed about putting a picture of my butthole on the internet? You know, mm-hmm. like everything in my worldview and ideals was like no, but there was still this part of me that was afraid, yeah. and so confronting that and and getting past it has been really really good for me. And um, it's also been really good to you know I've been writing and speaking about sex work for a while now, um, but just to get like further into it and and get further into. Well, what is the reality of doing sex work online in in mm-hmm. 2020 and 2021 and now 2022 um, has been really great, and um, my it's the nicest place on the on the internet for me. <laughs> so, <laughs> mm-hmm.
2: how did your perspective change, like when you started doing the work online, or you you know when you say like what what was it like to do online sex work in 2020 or 2021? Like, do you feel like there were things that surprised you or you didn't know or changed your perspective when you started? going down that road?
3: Yeah, absolutely. I would say that even though I haven't experienced a lot of the um, problems that a lot of online content creators have experienced as far as financial discrimination, being kicked off of platforms, um, I have experienced the power imbalance between creators and platforms and um, been more sensitive to the power imbalances that exist there the capriciousness of, of these platforms. And on the positive side, I think, you know, I kind of understood the reality that there's an audience for everything. Um, mm-hmm, yes. But actually doing sex work and uh, talk, you know, listening more closely to other sex workers, it's just become even more clear to me that, you know, whatever you're doing, there is someone who's going to be into it. And Mm -hmm. um, I think we have this idea that, you know, obviously, like there, when we talk about narrow beauty standards, that's a real Mm -hmm. thing. And that does matter. But there's this whole other world of extremely wide um, beauty appreciation that I just, it's been really nice to have uh, that my world widened in that way. Mm -hmm. That was
2: my experience too. Like when I got into sex work, I feel like – and it's funny because I don't want to sound like condescending in any way, but I I sometimes feel sorry for non-sex working women that I meet because – um, they don't get that exposure. They don't. And they have a much different conception of like what they have to do or what they have to like be in order to be, especially straight women, you know, and, attractive. In, yeah. to be found attractive. And I'm thinking like, you know, eight years into my like sex work career now, I'm like, you don't have to do any of that like (laughs) yeah somebody will be really really into like whatever you are yeah we've talked
1: about this on on our show in previous seasons as well or earlier this season I think but even like I feel like I have that privilege in a way because I do fit more into that ideal Mm -hmm. standard. But my my own experience was coming from, like, hating my own, like, coming from an eating disorder background, coming from that and having to confront that Mm -hmm. in, like, a live webcam space where I'm seeing the thing I hate about myself most online, but I'm getting the feedback from my fans that I'm beautiful and I'm this. So for me, it was very self-correcting of, like, my own negative self-talk and confronting. That was super – Positive for me, Mm -hmm. so like that's the experience you can have when you're exposed to that wider variety of beauty as well.
3: Yeah, totally. And I'm I'm in the same boat as far as like in many ways I conform to conventional beauty standards, but even there there's variation. And I've just found like if I trim my bush or I have a full bush or I gain some weight or I lose some weight or I take a video of myself smoking, you know, it's just like whatever I'm doing. There's someone who's like you know, growing my armpit hair out, you know, somebody's like into it. And it's just like, Oh man, I really don't have to contort myself in any way. Mm -hmm. And I remember when I grew up evangelical and I used to hate pornography (laughs) and now I make it. Um, But it was in part because I had this idea that if I fell in any way outside of being a young cellulite free thin uh, you know, woman, canned woman with big boobs, and like, no man was going to mm-hmm. find me attractive. And it's just like, so not true. And I wish I could speak to that mm-hmm. younger self and be like, listen, you are stressing yourself out completely unnecessarily. Right. Uh,
1: You know, it's funny you even said being tan because like (laughs) I've talked about this to Jesse a lot. Like I have as a redheaded ginger woman, like I've really struggled with my skin tone my whole life because I feel very like I'm not the California wavy beach tan girl. Like I'll never be that. And I've like, I've gone 10 years of spray tanning and like, this is the first time I've ever like wearing my real skin. And it's very (laughs) like hard, but also like a little. I don't know, like, liberating. Like, Mm -hmm. I could just be myself. Like, I I almost didn't believe that was an option. And now being able to do that because it's outside the conventional standard of what they tell us is beautiful. So it's an interesting approach to media correspondence as well. Like, we could totally segue from there because, (laughs) like, the media is portraying this image of what the beauty standard is back to us and we're all subscribing to that consciously or unconsciously in some kind of one way or the other, one format or the other. So
2: Pornography, especially, like, indie pornography almost feels like a rebellion yes. against that.
3: I was wondering if you wanted to like pick up there. Cause yeah. that's an interesting segue. Yeah. I mean, I, I definitely agree. I think that indie pornography um, forces you to reckon with like the existence of and market for indie pornography forces you to reckon with the fact that the idea that there is one way to be beautiful or one way to be sexy or one way to have sex. Yes. Um, yeah. And, and I think that that's something that is really underappreciated when it comes to porn is that, yes, it shouldn't be your primary method of sex education, but mm-hmm. it can be super useful to figure out, okay, you know, what am I into? What's interesting to me? What's possible? Mm-hmm. Um, what's worth trying? And I think that uh, one thing that the conversation leaves out when we talk about regulating pornography is that when you regulate any industry what usually ends up happening is that the smaller producers um, have trouble complying with the regulations and it just gives more market power to the dominant players Mm -hmm. and i just don't think a world in which uh, a few players dominate porn is going to be the world we want to live in because then we lose a lot of that diversity we lose a lot of that Mm -hmm. inclusion um and a lot of that education Yeah, yeah absolutely yeah. I, um, that, you know, that's the sad, I think that's the sad
2: thing about like you were talking about the platforms too, like, that's the sad thing about feeling like, you know, sex workers are getting pushed off of any of the like platforms, like social media yeah. platforms, but also OnlyFans, um, all of these places that like there's been movement back and forth between like, are we going to let adult creators on it? Or are we not going to let adult creators on our platforms? Um, that, you know, you lose a lot of that.
1: Even even in right now's climate, like mm-hmm. for those listening, we're recording this a few almost days after Elon bust Elon Musk. Musk bought Twitter. Yeah. So even that, like we're all of us are kind of like waiting patiently, like, okay, so you say free speech, mm-hmm. but do you really mean free, free
2: speech, speech for
3: who?
1: <laughs> we'll yeah. be here mm-hmm. until we're not.
3: <laughs> and it's I feel like the there's this conversation around free speech where it's like, oh well, obviously that doesn't extend to porn. when it's like, well, first of all, it absolutely does. But second of all, what's porn, right? It's an incredibly subjective, uh, porous, ill-defined category. And so once you start saying porn's out, well, okay. Is uh, information about the pros and cons of transitioning porn, Um, you know, Mm -hmm. is is a fiction story that happens to have an erotic component porn. Um, People have this idea that like, I know it when I see it and it's like, well, you might think you do, but A, you probably have no idea what you're talking about, because it's much wider than you can imagine. Yeah. And two, just because you think one thing is this doesn't mean mm-hmm. it is in any objective sense. And so uh, to, to make an, an exception in the free speech argument for porn, I think is much more problematic than people realize.
2: Yeah, you know, it's really interesting, because we were talking about, I mean, this is uh, slightly off, but I think it's related when... Um, In the first season, when we talked to Larry Walters from the Mm -hmm. Walters Law Group, um, and we were talking about Section 230, and we were also talking about like FOSTA-SESTA, he brought up the fact that like, if bookstores, for example, were to, um, you know, enact the same um, sort of laws at FOSTA-SESTA and like stripping away Section 230 were like, are trying to do it would be like, a bookseller having to read like every single thing <laughs> in every single book that they, that they sell, sell and then deciding whether or not that like breaks qualifies. rules or qualifies as porn or whatever. And that's just like completely like not feasible no. in any way, but also like points to this thing that you're bringing up, which is that it's totally subjective. <laughs>
1: like, um, arbitrary. Yeah. Yeah. And free speech just as a concept should not be like, it's very clear.
2: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I'm, um, you know, coming, uh, I think you and I, um, occupy a lot of the same spaces. And I think we also share a lot of the same fans who are like into, um, I, I know some of them, I can think of them off the top of my head who are like into, uh, sex workers who are writers who comment on like the industry. And I'm curious, like, um, that feels almost like a niche too, like that, um, you know, there's big fans for that um, and that they're pretty loyal to that. So I was wondering like um, what it's been like for you to combine, not just to like confront your own like um, uh, body issues or upbringing or slut shaming or anything like that, but also to kind of combine your writing career with um, more sexually explicit content and how that shaped your your writing.
3: Yeah, that's a great question. I think one of the reasons that I got on OnlyFans was because I was surprised to see writers I respect start making porn, and I mm-hmm. thought why would that surprise me? Why would I consider pornography mm-hmm. and um, you know, intellect to be mutually exclusive? And you know, obviously like I, w- I would never make an assumption about, you know, a porn performer not being intellectual, but I was making an assumption about an intellectual being a porn performer. Yeah. And I think that I think that for me, I'm like, well, if I'm struggling with this, then I'm sure a lot of people are. And I want to challenge that conception. And what I, what I came to realize is that, you know, when you get really into uh, any kind of person, you have kind of a parasocial relationship with, like, you'll often like, read their Wikipedia page, like read their Mm -hmm. interviews, you know, you might care about if it's an actor, like what their diet is, or the, Mm -hmm. the, the point is that, People get into ideas and art, but they also get into the creators, the artists and the the performers. And so, you know, if I'm going to watch porn, for example, um, and the person also uh, creates some other kind of content, I'm going to be interested in that as well, in Mm -hmm. all likelihood. And so combining these things you know, just kind of made sense to me. And I even joke, I'm like, you know, if any of my favorite writers started in OnlyFans, like I would subscribe because all else equal, you know, like Mm -hmm. uh, I'm invested in this person. Like I I think that they're cool. Um, And I'm also like polyamorous. So I tend to be attracted to, you know, my friends and and people who I think are interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) And it's cool to see that I'm not alone in this, but it's also, you know, when you step back to think about it, like not surprising at all um, mm. that there would be some overlap there. Have you found, cause this is something that I've found
2: and I feel like I'm, I've been like training my audience to be less like this, but I encountered it a lot, especially earlier on where, um, people who are interested in my writing were also interested in like following only fans, which doesn't exist by the way anymore, but like did for a very long time. Um, or, you know, my mini vids or anything like that, but we're like, afraid to and like ask mm-hmm. permission like I'm a fan of your writing is it, it okay if, would it be weird if yeah. I did that you know like is it okay and I would be like those are all like writing is an expression of like me the pornography is an expression of me like to me to me that felt very much the same but like a lot of people struggled with that so I was wondering if that's something you've encountered too or if you've had to talk um I'm through it through yeah them through supporting you on both ends of your career.
3: Yeah, it has happened to me and I have encouraged them that I wouldn't put it on the Internet if I didn't want them to look at it. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but, but I think and and going back to your earlier question about how it's changed my writing, I think it's forced me to uh, not force me, but it was all part of a, a shift. I was super into land use policy a few years ago when I first moved to San Francisco and then I got into sex work policy because what I saw on the horizon was a shift into away from the war on drugs and into a war on sex. And it's something that I felt like wasn't getting the attention it deserved, um, especially Mm -hmm. relative to land use, which, you know, obviously doesn't also get enough attention, but was, people have started to get um, into it. And um, so, yeah, I think it's gotten me to focus more on shame and stigma is a huge part of all of my work. And so, you know, what is it about, pornography that provokes such um, shame with people that they would feel like, oh, you know, I might need permission to to look at someone's porn. And one thing that I found that was super interesting was that when you look at the studies of porn addiction, what you find is that the thing that best predicts whether someone believes they have a problem with porn isn't how much porn they consume. It isn't how porn is impacting their lives it's, do they feel ashamed, usually from a religious standpoint of looking Mm -hmm. at the porn. And so when I look back on my career, um, you know, I'm proud of the, you know, great uh, belfies I've taken. But what I'm really trying to accomplish is to give people an opportunity to uh, look at the shame and stigma that they've been taught to to feel and really consider whether that's um, serving them, um, Mm -hmm. and whether that's coming from a place that's you know, based on data and experience, or if it's just kind of something that they've been taught um, in an effort to control them and, and, um, and to, to keep existing power structures in place. Mm, yeah. yeah. I think do that's feel, really interesting. Mm-hmm. Do you
1: feel a responsibility when writing about these kinds of, you know, shame and stigma topics because now like more so now because you're creating content, because you're like, I want to educate these people who are consuming about why like this is acceptable or not acceptable or what how to deal mm-hmm. with shame and stigma. Do you feel that at all?
3: Honestly, I feel the opposite. Like I yeah. I think I I was writing about shame and stigma way before I started making porn. Mm-hmm. And I feel like making porn for me is um, about making money first and foremost. I want to retire early yeah. and write books and blog posts full time. But second mm-hmm. to that is putting my money where my mouth is and saying, like, well, yeah. I'm not ashamed of this. There's no reason for me not to be doing it that makes sense to me. So mm-hmm. um I'm gonna, you know, walk the talk. Yeah.
2: Can you talk about the decision to use your legal name? Yeah. Was that I mean, a hard decision? It, it was definitely
3: something that I I think. <sighs> The, there were two inflection points. One was coming out about having ever done sex work publicly. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. So I did that in Maggie McNeil's blog. I wrote a guest post and it was, it was kind of an agonizing decision. I definitely mm-hmm. considered it for weeks or months and um, it was, it was scary to do. Um, but, you know, then I had another inflection point when I was uh, starting the, the porn career, but it was never a question of, do I use a fake name? Because, mm-hmm. That well, one I my, I started my career in search engine optimization, and so <laughs> I tend to use my real name everywhere because it makes me more findable. Um, yeah. But I think more importantly, um, I believe that everyone who is in a position to be out should be mm-hmm. out because you don't erase stigma any other way. Like we didn't mm-hmm. fight homophobia by mm-hmm. people staying in the closet. We fought it by people bravely coming out and saying Ev- everything that you assume about gay people. I'm going to blow up because yeah. you've known me this whole time. You know that I'm not X, Y, and Z, and um, it's it's just unfortunately necessary for people to come forward. And you know, if you're not in a position where you can do that safely, if you're in a custody battle or you might you yeah. know lose a job or housing that you absolutely need, you're under no obligation to come out. But I just knew. I didn't know, but I strongly yeah. suspected I was in a place where. I could do so with, um, Mm -hmm. you know, relative privilege and relative safety. And so I just felt it incumbent on me to, um, to not reify the shame of Mm -hmm. the situation by hiding that this is me and this is what I'm doing to say, like, this is me, this is what I'm doing. And I'm proud of it. I'm not ashamed Mm -hmm. of it. And, um, anyone who would have a problem with, me as a result of me doing porn, I don't want in my life. Um, Mm -hmm. And so that's worked out really well for me. Again, I'm extremely privileged. um, But I just I felt like it was incumbent on me to use that privilege to make it a little easier for people with less privilege to come out. Yeah,
1: that's really, Mm -hmm. that's really interesting. And Mm -hmm. I'm curious, has there been any I guess, consequences to that? Because even, because obviously you're you're right, you have so much out there on the internet from your writing and now as a content creator too, like when you're going to apply for like a lease or, or something like that, has that ever come up?
3: No. no, no. And it's it's one of those things where I, I wouldn't say there have been no negative consequences. I mean, my family doesn't love it. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> but I'm super lucky that they love me anyway. Um, mm-hmm. And so, again, that goes back to the privilege issue. Um, and I'm super lucky that it's never been difficult for me to find housing to begin with. Mm-hmm. And so it's it's never been an issue for me. Um, and I will never know about the opportunities I wasn't afforded because yeah. I'm out mm-hmm. as a sex worker. Nobody's going to tell me, like, I didn't hire you because you're a sex worker. Right. But I know about the opportunities that have been opened up to me as yeah. a result of having come out as a sex worker. And so I think one thing that I counsel young people about is that. In most cases, the problem of your life will not be too few doors are open for you. The problem of your life will be not knowing which doors to walk through. And so Mm -hmm. being yourself closes doors, but that's beautiful because that's not a room you want to be in if being yourself is going to close it for you. And so the more you can do to be authentic and narrow down your opportunities to where you really belong... I think um, the easier it is to make choices and um, the more welcome you're going to feel in the spaces you end up being in.
2: Yeah, that's probably a good place (laughs) to... That's a great place to wrap up. Yeah, no, this was great. Um, Where can people find you? Thank you Thanks so you much
3: for having me. Um, yeah, so my writing is at Sex and the State. So if you go to kathyrisenwitz.substack.com, that is C-A-T-H-Y-R-E-I-S-E-N-W-I-T-Z. I'm also on Twitter, way too much, at, at Kathy Reisenwitz. <laughs> Um My spicy Instagram is Kathy Reisenwitz 0 I'm also obviously on OnlyFans at onlyfans.com slash Um And uh, yeah, check me out. Yeah, thank awesome. you so
2: much. It was really Thanks great to talk to you. It's <laughs> wonderful. Who misses free and affordable ads without the anti-sex work rhetoric? Assembly 4 is a team of sex workers and technologists from Melbourne, Australia, aiming to bring back free and fair advertising to the sex work community. They also give back to organizations based in harm reduction, sex work, and education. Stepping away from the clunky design of traditional platforms, their platform, Trist.link, is a refreshing and well-needed change in both presentation and mission. It is free to join and open to all. In the words of an A4 user, from the policies, to the language to the advice and tips it makes such a big difference to feel encouraged and supported instead of policed
1: thank you for joining us for another episode of on the horizon a
2: podcast about what's on the horizon for sex workers and how to navigate it i'm jessie sage and you can find me on twitter at sapiotextual and at jessiesage.com
1: and i'm melrose michaels and you can find me at melrose michaels on social and MelroseMichaels.com.
2: Just a reminder, if you are enjoying the podcast on Apple, please leave us a five-star rating and review because it really helps us to grow as a podcast and better share information from our guests to the sex work community as a whole.
1: Last but not least, if you want to support the podcast, please go to anchor.fm forward slash horizon spelled W-H-O-R-I-Z-O-N to become a premium subscriber of On the Horizon, which unlocks two bonus episodes on the 8th and 22nd of each month with tons of extra exclusive footage from ourselves and our guests.